Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. You know, several years ago, my brother-in-law was uh, under hospice care at his elderly parents' home. Tommy was just 55 years old when he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. When Tommy was younger, he was strong, he was vibrant. In fact, he was a youth pastor, he had a degree in theology, but over the years, his life became challenging, it became difficult, relationships were hard, and now his body was in serious decline. He was only given a few weeks to to live, and his mother sat at his bedside the night he took his last breath, and it wasn't much longer after that that my wife and I received a phone call telling us that, uh, well, Tommy had taken his last breath. Sandy's mother said that uh, through her tears, she said, he's just left us. Tommy had slipped away in the middle of the night. He was gone, departed. But the question remains, it lingers, to where? In what form? To what place? And once there, what did he see? What did he know? What did he do? You know, we all long to have the answers to those questions answered truthfully. My question to you is, who in your life just left? When the breathing of your husband stopped or the beating of the heart in your womb ceased or the beeping of your grandmother's monitor became a flatline tone, what happened next? You know, apart from the return of Jesus, you too will have one final breath, one last heartbeat. And since the moment is inevitable and the timing of it is unpredictable, it's essential that we take the opportunity to prepare for it and to talk about it. And so that's why the last couple of weeks here at Journey, we've been in a series called Things to Know Before You Go. And it's been a fascinating look at some important subjects like aging gracefully and about the certainty of our our death. And next week, you don't want to miss it, Pastor John's going to be talking about the resurrection of the physical body at the return of Christ. But today, we're asking this question, what happens the second you die? Happy Father's Day. <laughs> you know, my hope is that you have the best possible Father's Day that you, can, that you can have. And, you know, I realize, I think we all understand that every father's circumstances are unique. For some, today's a joyful day. Uh, it's a fun occasion. It's a celebration. But for others, it's a hard day. It's a sad day. It's a day full of regret. It's a day full of unexpected loss or maybe dreams that have never fully been realized. Whatever Father's Day means to you, I want you to cling to this promise from the scriptures. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen to that. You know, it's good to know that God loves all fathers. (laughs) Even though we're not perfect, he certainly loves us. The funny it's funny how kids view their, their, their dads over a lifetime. I came across this this week, four years old. My dad can do anything. Eight years of age, my dad, my dad is super smart. 
12 years old, my dad probably doesn't know that. 16 years old, my dad's absolutely clueless. 21 years old, that old man, he's out of touch. 35 years old, well, maybe we ought to find out what dad thinks. 45 years old, let's get dad's opinion on this before we make a decision. 65 years old, my dad knew absolutely everything. 70 years old, I'd give anything to talk to my dad just one more time. You see, my dad taught me a lot of important life lessons for which I'm extremely grateful, but he never talked to me about what happens when I die. Maybe he didn't know. But death is always the elephant in the room. Always. The simple truth is, what you believe about what happens when you die determines how you live today. Let that sink in. What you believe about what happens when you die determines how you live today. One of the most surprising verses in the Bible is found in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And here's what it says. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. You know what this verse means? It means you're better off going to a funeral than a party. And why would that be the case? Because whenever you see a casket, it preaches to you. It says the world is broken, the world is fallen, and I'm under that curse of death, and, and I'm a part of that. A funeral is a wake-up call. It's a, it's a flashing neon sign. It's a, it's a call to action. Someone said, stand by a graveside and learn how to live. There's a lot of truth in that advice. And here's the sobering reminder. The Bible says, there is a time to be born, and then there is a time to die. You know, after Tommy's death, he had a funeral service. Have you been to a funeral lately? If so, you likely sat quietly thoughtfully. That night you went home, you went to bed and, and you thought about it. You thought one of these days, that's going to be me. They're going to be taking me out to the cemetery. They're going to be saying some words over my body. You know, in the old Testament book of Genesis chapter five, there is a list of old Testament saints who lived really long lives. It says Adam lived 930 years, but he died. Seth lived 912 years, but he died. Methuselah lived 969 years, but he died. In fact, the oldest person on earth this year, and, there's her, and here's her picture right here, Cain Tanaka is her name, 119 years old, but in April, she died. Our question today is, what happens the second you die? What transpires the moment you step from this life into the life to come. Is it the end? Is it all over forever? Where do you go? Are you still conscious? Do you see loved ones? There's not a person on this planet that doesn't want to know the truthful answer to those questions. The Bible says God has placed eternity in the heart, the human heart, which means that desire to live forever is instinctive within us. It's implanted in our soul. So let's cut through the traditions and the folklore and the fables and all the guesswork and look at what the scriptures say about what happens the second you die. You know, the short answer is, you don't really die. Oh, your body withers away, and, you, and it eventually dies, but you're more than just flesh and blood. Consider these words of Jesus. 
He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me, he says, shall never die. Or this statement from the gospel of John, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Is Jesus confused? What Jesus is saying is you don't really die. So let's dig into a parable that Jesus talks about what happens the moment you step in eternity. This is from Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. It's a long passage. We'll just kind of work our way through it, but it's a parable Jesus teaches, and uh, it's, it's quite amazing. Here's how it starts. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs, it says, came and licked his sores. It's a bad situation. The time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. Let's pause here for just a moment. Abraham's side. What is it and where is it? Some translations use the phrase Abraham's bosom, which is even more confusing. But what it is, is Jesus referring to Abraham and in the minds of his hearers, Abraham's the greatest example of a person that they would know would be in heaven. So wherever this Abraham's bosom is, where this Abraham's side is, where this beggar is going, his hearers would have understood that to be the place where God is, the place of heaven. So being with Abraham indicates that Lazarus, this beggar, is in God's presence. Let's continue. The rich man also died and was buried. I like how it has this great description of you know, Lazarus, and then the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember in your lifetime, you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all that, between us, is a gulf, a great chasm, it says, that's been, in, that been set in place so that those who want to go from here, from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they also don't come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not even be convinced if someone rises from the dead. What a fascinating story. This is an amazing parable. Now, we don't have enough time today to unpack all the details of this rather lengthy story, but we can identify some important truths that help us get a glimpse of what happens the second we step into eternity. And here's the first one. The moment of your death, at the moment of your death, your soul leaves your body. When Jesus says in chapter 11 of the gospel of John, he says, you will never die. He's not talking about the physical body. It's obvious that our physical bodies do perish. He's talking about your soul. Jesus says the soul survives the death of your body, which means death is not the end of you. Maybe it's the end temporarily of your body, but it's not the end of you. In fact, some say it's the very beginning of eternity, which is mind blowing to think that my body weakens and deteriorates over time, but my spirit, my soul 
is immaterial and is not susceptible to decay and death. You know, atheism rejects that you even have a soul. It says there is no soul. All you are is a body, just material. But scripture teaches that you are more than just a physical body with a brain. It says you are both body and soul, and death is the enemy that brings separation to those two things. The body remains behind for a while. That is until the second coming of Jesus. And for those who put their hope in Jesus, their soul returns to the one who created it, the one who loves it, the one who ultimately saves it. Numerous scripture verses teach this truth. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, it says this, at death, the dust returns to the earth as it was, but the spirit, the soul, returns to God who gave it. In the New Testament book of Acts, there's a, there's a, a church leader named Stephen and He's in Jerusalem, and he's, he's being murdered in, because of his faith in Jesus. And we read that he says this. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Separation of the body and the soul. The apostle Paul, writing in the Corinthian letter, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How is that possible without a separation of the body and the soul? You see, death is not extinction or annihilation, as some believe. How depressing it would be to believe that we're randomly born with no ultimate purpose or value, and then we suffer through this life, and then we die in vain, all for nothing. How depressing would that be? The Bible teaches exactly the opposite. It says, God knows the day we will be born before we're ever even conceived. He knows the day we will pass from this life to the next before we're ever born, and he loves us every single day in between. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. It's so true. In fact, we are made for another world. And it's coming in the form of the new heavens and the new earth as described in Revelation chapter 21. You see, life does have purpose. It does have meaning and value. And your suffering is not in vain. And if you follow Jesus, God has prepared for you an eternal home far grander than anything you've ever experienced in this life. Here's the second thing that happens the moment you die. Your soul enters into a place of waiting until the second coming of Jesus. This is what scholars refer to as the intermediate state. So you have life now, and then you have life forever, and then you have life in between. The intermediate state. Back to the parable for just a second. We read these words. The time came when the beggar died, that's Lazarus, and angels carried him to Abraham's side. The angels carried not his body, but his soul to a place where he experienced God face to face. Abraham's side is just one of the many descriptions the Bible uses for this temporary location where the soul resides until the second coming of Jesus. Jesus referred to this place as well in another term. He called it paradise. Remember when he was hanging on the cross and he spoke to the thief, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Same place as Abraham's side. Notice Jesus doesn't say someday you're going to be with me in paradise. He says to the thief today, like as soon as your body on that cross dies, you will be with me in paradise. Paul expresses the same idea 
when he writes in Philippians these words, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart. It means to, to go from this life and to be with Christ. So where is this place? Paradise, Abraham's side. Fact is, the Bible doesn't say much about where that place is. I imagine it's like an angelic realm that we do not have access or cannot see until the moment we step into that eternity. But we do know who's there. All the Old Testament saints, all the New Testament believers, and everyone who puts their hope and their faith in Jesus is there. And of course, the Lord himself is there. Paul's well-known words in 2 Corinthians remind us to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So wherever this place is, when our body and our soul separates, wherever the soul goes, it goes to a place where the Lord is. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And wherever that's at, it's a good place. <laughs> it's a place you want to be. It's a desirable state. But what about the rich man in the story? Where did his soul go? You see, the rich man in the story personifies all those who are unrepentant, who reject God, who say no. And according to Jesus, their souls go to a place called Hades. Let's look at the text. Back to the parable. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. You know, Hades is a term that specifically refers to a place that's the realm of the dead, a place where spiritual death reigns. However, this place, Hades, is not to be mistaken for a final place that we think of as hell. That comes after the final judgment. This is a temporary location of torment. It's a place of banishment where the presence of God is not there and, and we wait for final judgment. And let me clarify, the rich man wasn't condemned to Hades because he was rich. That had nothing to do with it. It's because he rejected God. You see, God wants no one to be, uh, no one to experience the misery of Hades. And to that end, he's provided a way of salvation through Jesus. Some choose to follow him. Others choose to reject him. One thief on the cross repented and was rewarded. Today you will be with me in paradise. The other thief, he never repented and God honored his choice. Just like God will honor your choice. Couple more observations uh, from this parable. Both men's souls are, are conscious at this point. Um, there's interaction. You can tell they're, they know what's going on. There's a consciousness that happens after death when the soul leaves the body. We still are who we are. Author and theologian Dallas Willard says, our consciousness goes right on uninterrupted by death, which is an amazing thing to think about, and we often forget that our consciousness stays conscious. So a few years ago when I was talking to my aunt, my mom had passed away back in 2002. In fact, her funeral was in this room, her casket right there. I sat right here. First worship service in this room back in 2002. And um, a few years later, my aunt called me. She was under hospice care and didn't have too much longer to live on this earth. And uh, we had a conversation. And it was only weeks away from the time that we all knew that she would step into eternity. And because I understand that 
we're conscious after death and we're in a temporary location where we know who we are. We have memories. We'll see that in a moment. I said to my aunt, when you step into eternity, make sure you tell my mother I'm doing okay and I love her. We don't often think about things in that way because we kind of think out of sight, out of mind. But our loved ones are in a place where they know who they are. Notice it also says that communication is happening in this parable. There's communication taking place in paradise. And there's memories that they have of their loved ones. In fact, this, this, this uh, rich man's wanting, he's thinking about his brothers who have not died. So he's having these memories. In fact, it's the memories that contribute to the regret that appear to intensify his torment. He's remembering back to a time when he had opportunities to choose faith. But like the rich young ruler in another one of Jesus' stories, this rich man walked away from God. And what we see is there's no coming back. In fact, he asks, can you send Lazarus back to tell my brothers? And the request is denied because the Bible says that we die once and then the judgment. We don't come back. And the fact that this request is denied brings us to our final point about what happens the second you die. And it's this, the moment you die, your eternity is determined. The moment you step into eternity, or I should say the moment you die, your eternity is determined. My friend, you don't want to die with regrets. You want to do everything in your power to live out the purpose for which God's put you on this planet, and indeed, you have a purpose. One day, Jesus was asked this question. He said, what's the greatest of all the commandments in the Bible? And that's a great question. It's a little bit like asking, well, what's my purpose in life? If I know what the greatest commandment is, then I know what my purpose is. And Jesus answered this way. He said, the greatest of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And he said, the second one is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we do those things, we find great purpose and great meaning and great significance in our lives. And what makes following these commands to love God and love other people so essential well, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, you are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. So why wouldn't you do everything necessary now while you have the chance to honor God? Professor Clay Jones, I like what he says here. He says, we don't face a nothingness of non-existence after death. Instead, we either face an eternity with God or separated from him. And that's the truth of what the Bible teaches Eternity with God or eternity separated with God. God honors the choice of your life. You know, there are eternal consequences to those who reject Jesus. And we're warned in the scriptures in Matthew 10, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, what happens after you die is based on who is paying for your sins. If you choose to let Jesus nail your sins to the cross, you'll spend forever in his presence, and there's no better place to be. But if you choose to pay for your sins yourself, God will let you do that, and you'll spend eternity paying off your debt to God on your own. 
You see, there's a famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. At age 92, Billy Graham was struggling with Parkinson's disease. And right before his 93rd birthday, he was invited by the leaders, community leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina to come, and they wanted to honor him. And he had some reservations because he, his disease was difficult and he was struggling with Parkinson's. And at first his inclination was to not go, but they said, look, you don't, we don't, we're not expecting a major speech or anything like that. We just want you to come and we'll, we want to honor your life and, and your service to the Lord. So he agreed. And, um, and he went. And so after some wonderful things were said about Dr. Graham, he, he stepped up to the, the podium and he said these words. He said, you know, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, who was the great physicist, who this month, he said, has been honored by Time Magazine as, as man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train, he said, And when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of every passenger, he came to Einstein. And Einstein uh, reached into his vest pocket. No no ticket. He reached into his pants pocket, couldn't find a ticket. Looked in his briefcase. No ticket. Looked in the seat next to him. He had no ticket. And finally, the the young man said, you know, uh, Einstein, I I know who you are. Um, We all know who you are. Uh, I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. And Einstein nodded appreciatively. Thank you very much. And uh, so the conductor continued down the train, punching tickets of the passengers. And as as he was ready to move into the next car, he looked back and he could see that Einstein was now on his hands and knees, digging under the seat, looking for his ticket. And so the the young man ran back and he said, he he said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. Don't worry. You know, uh, I know who you are. It's no problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. And Einstein looked at him and said these words, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> now, Billy Graham continued on for just a moment. He said to the crowd, you see the suit I'm wearing? He said, before I came here today, my, my grandchildren and, and my children bought me this, this suit for brought me this suit for this luncheon and for one more occasion. And he said, you know, the other occasion is uh, my funeral. This is the suit that I'm going to be buried in. And he said, when you hear that I'm dead, don't, I want you, I don't want you to immediately think of, of the suit I'm wearing. He said, but I want you to remember this. I not, I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. May each of us have lived lives so that when our ticket is punched and your ticket will be punched, that you know where you're going. Jesus said it like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. He said, in my father's house, there were many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place, I will come again to take you to be with me that you might be where I am. And Thomas looks at Jesus and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how do we know the way? And then Jesus utters these rather amazing words to Thomas, but he's really speaking to all of us. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. 
and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What was true then is true now. Life is precious. Put your hope not in the things of this world, which are fading away every day as quickly as we can imagine, but put your hope in the truth of Scripture. Put your hope in the promises of God. And one day when you step from this life into the life to come, you'll be like Lazarus the beggar who steps into a place of bliss, a place of joy, a place of greeting with those you've loved before, those who have gone on before you, and the Lord himself. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, that there is no better place to be than in the presence of our Heavenly Father. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, if you would. We're going to close our time with a, with a prayer. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us. And we see clearly how much you have done and how much you've expressed, how much you've offered yourself in our place on the cross, in fact, so that we might have an eternity in your presence. Help us to understand the, the importance of life now and where it leads and what it means the influence and the impact it has, not only on our eternity, but even on the eternity of those around us. Thank you that we can trust in your word, know that it's true, and look forward to eternity in your presence, Lord. Give us the faith that we need on this day to have the confidence that we can be with you forever. Thank you for Jesus and all he's done for us on the cross, that he was willing to to take upon himself our sins, to die in our place, to be our sacrifice so that you could welcome us into an eternal home that you've prepared especially for those who follow you. We thank you for that. pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.